All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick in order to get that deal and let's get on with the show. On this episode, we're going to talk about whether or not you have a right to feel safe because this has been something that's been spoken about a lot over the last two years and will continue to be spoken about, but there'll be different reasons for it, different crises to justify government power and the restriction of your individual liberties. And we're all going to have to ask ourselves, what exactly are we willing to take now that we have the knowledge of the last two years behind us? I'm Nick Freitas with Making the Argument. We make the arguments to defend a free society. Okay, so the other day I was feeling a little bit saucy, right? And I got on Twitter and I said this. If the only way you can feel safe is by constantly restricting the freedoms and rights of other people, then maybe you should grow up. Now, this automatically engendered a reply from someone on the left that said, Republicans, it's all about me, 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 me. And I found this, I found this interesting because one of the, the primary arguments we've heard from the left with respect to COVID, with respect to mask mandates, whether it's you know, at the grocery store, in our schools, whatever it is, is that Republicans are selfish. And that's why we won't wear a mask or some people won't get the vaccine or they won't get a booster or they won't you know, modify their lives in any way, et cetera, in order to help save lives, right? That was, that was the argument. And what I found interesting is that time went on and we learned more about COVID and we learned more about who it affected and how it affected people and what actually helped with prevention and what didn't. Um, the narrative on a lot of things didn't really change much, right? So pretty early into this, we, we kind of understood that a dirty cloth mask worn inappropriately was probably not doing a whole lot to prevent transmission. But it didn't matter at that point. It became a totem, right? It became this token of, you know, doing your part. And after a while, you know, the more, the more science came out there to demonstrate that this, this, again, the way it was being implemented was not all that effective. And there didn't seem to be a, a lot of difference with respect to transmission from one place to another place. A lot of people started to question, okay, why are we doing this? And also acknowledging that if this is not going to have any really tangible benefit, well, there are actual downsides to this, not just mere inconvenience. There are downsides, especially when our schools, when it comes to learning and, and things of that nature. And the idea was that like the thing that kept coming back is, well, you know, you're, you're just doing this to help other people and, and you don't care about them. And that's what you saw, I think, exemplified by that response is me saying that if you need to restrict other people's freedoms to feel safe, maybe you should grow up. And I used those words specifically. And that response I got back with this idea that Republicans are all about me, 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 what's fascinating is this kind of illustrates, I think, a mindset, a significant difference in mindset in the way that we approach a particular problem or the different tools that we implement to solve a particular problem. Now, 
one of the things that we like to do on the show is we like to talk about bad conservative arguments versus good conservative arguments. I'm going to start with a bad conservative response to this. And I think it's this idea that um, when, when, when someone says, well, you know, why wouldn't you do something in order to help someone else, even if it's mildly convenient to you? And, and the conservative response back is like, well, this is a restriction on my freedoms and I don't got to put up with it. Okay. I, I agree with that in principle. I don't know that it's the best approach. I don't know that it's the best argument. And, and the reason why is because one of the one of the tactics the left pretty regularly uses against conservatives is to suggest that they're the compassionate and tolerant ones. They're the ones willing to sacrifice for the greater good. And we're just obsessed with our own you know, individual choices and lives that we don't care about anybody else. And I, and I think this is patently false. But when our automatic response to someone making an argument is suggest like, why wouldn't you mildly inconvenience yourself in order to help more people? When our automatic response is, well, it's my body, my choice, right? Or it's like, no, I'm going to make my own decisions on this. It feeds into that overall narrative. Now, when I responded to this person, I said, well, I think that's ironic. I think it's ironic that you would respond in that way. Because my whole statement was about if you've got to restrict the freedoms and rights of other people in order to make yourself feel safe. You see, in that argument... I'm not suggesting that this is all about me wanting to do what I want because I don't like wearing a mask or I don't like a particular approach or I don't like taxes or I don't like more regular. No, this is about me saying if, if, if the only way you can get something that you feel you need is by essentially punishing, restricting, or taking from somebody else, you're the selfish one, right? And, and when it comes to certain questions about what you want for your life or what it means to you to pursue happiness. If the only way you feel like you can pursue happiness is that you need some sort of law restricting somebody else or taking from somebody else and giving to you. Okay, that's the dynamic I see. That's a selfish dynamic. I, I don't look at that as, oh, you're, you're just more concerned about the collective than the rest of us. It's like, no, you, you seek to benefit from government power coming in and taking from somebody else or from somebody else's freedoms being restricted in order to achieve what you want. And even if you've even if you've somehow in your own mind said, well, it's not specifically for me, it's for you know poor people, it's for sick people. It's okay, well, wait a second, but how are you arriving? How, how are you actually helping? And if the way you're helping, this is again what my tweet said, if the way you're helping is by constantly restricting the freedoms or rights of other people, you need to grow up. And the reason why I say grow up. Right? The reason why I used that terminology, because I do feel like there's this, some, this kind of like middle school, infantile, and, and I know this sounds really mean, and I, I don't mean it to be. It's just that there's this immature notion that if it makes you feel better or safer, then somebody else should be required to do something in order to meet your needs. And it's not like you're going to them and saying, you know, hey, look, I, I'm immunocompromised. Would you mind doing X? Or, hey, would, would you mind, you know, maybe not doing this while, while I'm here? See, that would be one thing. That would be, that would be a personal transaction. I'd actually be far more likely, personally, I'd be far more likely to do something that I found to be inconvenient or even maybe something that I found to be overly cautious or maybe even a little bit silly. If I'm talking to another human being that is politely asking me to do something. But more and more, we've gotten into this mindset where it's like, no, 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 I'm not asking you to do it. I'm going to go get the government to force you to do it. And then I'm going to feel noble in the process. I'm doing something to you or against you to make me feel better. 
And instead of feeling selfish or maybe a little bit authoritarian, no, no, I feel perfectly justified in the process. And, and that's the mindset that I feel like a lot of us as conservatives, that, that's the lens for which we're viewing it. I don't think a lot of people on the left view it that way. But that's why I say this goes back to what I believe is a, is a significantly different you know, perspective at a foundational level as we look at some of these decisions. And, and you'll, you'll hear this a lot coming from the left when they talk about government mandates or government restrictions or government taxes, right? All we're asking. You're not asking anything. And I'm not going to let you get away with pretending that you're asking. What you're doing is you're saying, you will do what I want. You will wear that. You will pay this. You're not allowed to do this. You are allowed to do this, or you have to do that. Because they say so. You don't get to come back later and say, well, you're the ones that are more concerned about the collective. Isn't the person that you're forcing to do something or preventing from being able to do something or taking from, aren't they also a part of this collective you claim to care about? This, this almost reminds me, and I, and I used this as an example a while back, uh, again, on, on social media, and I, and I talked about the whole concept of sharing. And this is something that, again, if, if, if you're a parent, you've probably dealt with this. If you're a teacher, you've probably dealt with this. All right, so listen carefully to what I'm about to say, because this can be easily misconstrued, and so I'm going to be very, very careful, or as Jordan Peterson likes to say, I'm going to be very precise in my language. Because I think there's something that we do at a very early age with respect to raising kids that fosters this kind of attitude that I'm now seeing among adults, where it's this whole idea that once they've, once they've identified that they have the moral position, they really don't have any problem forcing other people to do what they want, even if they can't make a good, you know, a, a really rational or scientific reason on why it is that way. It's just, well, no, no, no. This is the good moral position, so you should be compelled to do something or to pay for something or to agree with something. So where does it start? I think, I think one of the areas it starts is when we teach our kids about the concept of sharing. So I, I and, I, and I actually got a lot of good feedback when I, when I put this out there. I said, you know, I don't teach my kid to share in the same way that a lot of other parents teach their kids to share, what I've observed them teach their kids to share. So for instance, when my kids had a toy, um, and, and it was their toy, it was their property, their toy, and another child would come over and want to use it. Now, the typical thing for a parent usually to say in this situation is to tell your child, well, you know, you need to share with Billy or you need to share with Susie. Um, because, a lot of times what will happen is one kid will ask, the other child will say no, and then they'll come over to a parent and they'll say, Susie's not sharing, Billy's not sharing. And the parent almost inevitably walks over and says, you need to share your toys, right? Because the whole concept of sharing is moral, right? It's this idea that you have something, somebody else may not have it, they may need it, they may want it. It would be a kindness to be able to share it. The problem is, the moment the parent comes over and says, you will share this. You're not sharing anymore. That toy is no longer being shared. That item is no longer being shared. That item has been confiscated and redistributed. But the mindset is, is that, oh, something noble has taken place. Right? A, a, a larger moral good has taken place because somebody had something 
They could have shared it with somebody else. They weren't sharing it. And now they've been required to share. And so now they've learned a good moral lesson about sharing. And the other child has learned a good moral lesson about not only sharing, but being able to have access to something. And then hopefully they will reciprocate. And that's the message that we hope is learned from that, that transaction, that exchange. Here's what I think is actually being taught. You go up to another person and you ask them to do something. Uh, maybe it's to play, like, again, with, when the same scenario with the kids. Maybe it's to play with you. Maybe it's to share a toy. And that kid says, no. And then what does the other child do? They run to an authority figure that can compel that child through force to do what the other child wants. And so is the lesson that we've taught in that particular moment that sharing is a good thing, or is the lesson that we've taught is that if you don't get what you want from somebody else, go find an authority figure to confiscate and give it to you. And then you get to feel noble because after all, you were the one that was encouraging sharing. Now, you might think this is kind of out of left field. I would ask you to just consider it for a second. Because somebody immediately came and asked me like, oh, so you never taught your kids to share, huh? I said, no, 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 that's, that's not what I did. I taught my kids to share. I did not teach my kids that they had to give away their property whenever another kid wanted it. I did not teach my kids that anytime they wanted something from another child, they could rely on daddy to come over there and force them to give it to them. What I taught them was, if you have something and somebody else would like to play with it or somebody else has needs it, maybe you have, maybe you have a couple cookies and this kid has no cookie. It can be a kindness to share what you have with somebody else who is in need or just for the simple reason that it will make them feel better or make their day better, right? On a moral level, there is something good and kind and noble and just about that exchange if you choose to do it. I can't force you to do it. You have to choose to do it. And so my wife and I are very deliberate in raising our kids to believe that, no, it is good and it is proper. And with respect to our faith as Christians, it is necessary that you share with somebody that is in need when it's appropriate. But we're not going to force you to do it. We're not going to compel you to do it. We're not going to threaten you if you don't do it. And then we also talked about the practical reasons why you share, why you exchange, why you trade. It's that, yes, this is your property. You don't have to give the kid one of your cookies. But there might be a time in the future where that kid has something that you want. And maybe they'll remember that when you had an opportunity to share with them, you did. And now it would be nice for them to reciprocate when you're the one in need or you're the one that wants something and share with them. So there's both a moral component here and a practical component. But all of that is lost the moment we take the position of, if you don't get what you want, get an authority figure to force someone to give you what you want, and then you get to feel morally, superiority, or morally superior because of the entire exchange or transaction. Now, if a student has learned that all through growing up, whether it's at home or at school, that the solution to problems is to go get a third party, to go get an authority figure to compel someone else to do what you want, why would we be shocked when people run to that as a natural conclusion to how to solve their problems in the world as adults? 
It's just that now the authority figure is not mommy or daddy or the teacher or the principal. Now the authority figure is the government. Because the politician is sitting there telling you that if you don't have this thing that somebody else has, that your neighbor has, then it must be because there's some sort of structural, institutional, uh, racist, bigoted, sexist, whatever it may be. There's got to be something that explains why this other person has something you don't. And it can't possibly be as, as a result of your decisions. It can't possibly be as a result of their decisions, which might have nothing immoral about them. But this politician, all they point out is the discrepancy. All they point out is the disparity. This person has something you don't. Elect me, and I'll make sure you get it. But I can't just say, I'm going to steal from him and give to you. I have to first make you feel like you're doing something moral. You're not doing this simply because you want something from your neighbor. No, no, no. You're doing this because it actually feeds the greater good. Because it actually achieves a larger societal, you know, moral imperative. And that's what you're really advocating for. And yeah, sure, you might end up being a beneficiary of it, but that's not why you did it. You did it because you are encouraging that larger moral principle for the benefit of the collective. And you using the politician or the authority figure to ensure that happens is a noble cause. And anybody that would question you doing this. Well, clearly, they're just greedy. They're just mean. They're just benefiting from the structure which has allowed them to have something you don't. Is it really that hard to imagine? Is it really that hard to make that link between a simple lesson that most of us teach our kids without even thinking about and then the mentality that breeds over time to where all of a sudden someone gets to be adult and thinks they're entitled to something not because they've earned it, not because they've worked for it, not because they've negotiated or traded for it, but simply because they should have it because that's the moral imperative. Them not having it is all the justification which is required to then justify someone coming in and taking it. And so when I, when I say, <laughs> if the only way that you can feel safe, and you could have added a number of other things on there besides feeling safe, feeling fulfilled, uh, getting something that you want, having a bigger house, whatever it is. If the only way you can do that is by restricting the freedoms and rights of other people, you need to grow up. Because I would suggest that just maybe, and this doesn't apply to everyone, but just maybe you are stuck in this kind of infantile, adolescent position of believing that simply because a disparity exists and injustice exists and therefore an authority figure it is incumbent upon an authority figure to make it right in order to get you what you want at the expense of someone else. And it's amazing how someone can engage in that kind of reasoning and then turn that sort of reasoning into political action and believe the entire time that they're doing it that they are the noble, tolerant, and compassionate one. So, I think the good conservative argument here is to say, look, there are certainly times when either for the benefit of another person or for the benefit as of society as a whole, of your family, of your country, of your community, whatever it is, there are times when sacrifice is appropriate. There's a time when giving up things that you might not give up in other circumstances are appropriate, either for reasons of a crisis or for reasons of just common courtesy. 
But true community is built around convincing people of doing a particular thing because it is the correct thing to do in that moment without coming in and using authority figures to threaten or coerce them into doing so. Now, will there be cases where somebody crosses a line and hurts another human being or steals from them? And is it appropriate for an authority figure to step in there and say, no, you're not allowed to do that? Absolutely. But I think we need to be very, very careful with this mindset that tells people that as long as they believe that whatever they're pushing for is in the collective good, they are therefore justified in using force and coercion in order to achieve it, provided that they use the government as their instrument of choice. We need to once again reemphasize that is not the way a peaceful society works. That's not a way a peaceful society, which actually values individual liberty, works. And for those that get uncomfortable when I talk about individual liberty, just let me make something very clear. You don't have collective liberty without individual liberty. The ultimate minority is the individual. And the way we educate at the earliest levels when we're talking about a concept as simple as sharing has implications that go far beyond that with the expectations that our kids have when they become adults. I'm Nick Freitas with Making the Argument. Thank you very much for joining us. Give us some comments. Let us know what you thought about this, this episode. I'm actually really curious for feedback. Once again, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.